Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Adriana. I'm Sophia. And I'm Juliana. Yay! Welcome back, Julie. So excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be recording again uh, after the birth of my son, Pat, at the very end of June. Mm-hmm. It has been a beautiful time welcoming him into our family. Also a very difficult time adjusting to mm. two small kids. And it's been hard on my daughter um, adjusting to having another baby in the family and I've also been obviously off of work so it's a lifestyle change as well um so anyway it's been a very intense couple months I really missed recording with you guys and our conversations and the way it helps me live my reality and so I'm thrilled to be back glad to have the trio together again yeah me too I can empathize and sympathize with that transition having gone through it also myself (laughs) yeah (laughs) thanks It's given you a lot of content, many experiences from which to draw for our topic today, I'm sure, which is following Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? How does this unfold? What's asked of us in order to follow him? And yeah, what are the signs that we are or aren't doing that? Um, So I'm really excited to talk to you both today. I think we've uh, lived through dramatic transitions, each of us in our lives recently and our discerning changes in various areas of our life. And so I, for one, have really benefited from this preparation and the sustained sort of focus on on what it means to follow Christ. And I'm eager to continue learning about that in our conversation today. Yeah, I really see all three of us in this, like, I don't know, almost tumultuous season, like we're embracing transition. Mm-hmm. at all times that's what new motherhood feels like or i suppose i always feel like i'm a new motherhood but motherhood <laughs> with new life it's like a new season again and like what does this mean i've never had three now i've never had this age with a four-year-old yeah everything is new every day how do i live that newness with a posture of receptivity and openness when by nature i think i'm like inclined towards order and control and structure and systems mm-hmm. Yeah, and stasis, in my experience, being open to the newness, new desires, new demands, new discoveries is actually like it takes like an ascetic work. I'm tempted to be closed on and protective over what I know and the habits that I've formed and how I understand my relationship with Christ. And so this continual drama of being called out of that, like down the Mount of Transfiguration to Jerusalem, um, instead of setting Mm -hmm. up my tent and beholding the Lord in his glory the way that I'm familiar with doing that. It's difficult, but But it's the condition for being with him, the condition for actually having faith, a lived relationship with God instead of with my idea of him. So I agree. I think this is a season of tumultuousness. And I'm excited, though, because I know this means that it'll be an occasion to discover as if for the first time what it means to be with Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the word that you used to describe it as a drama because... I agree with everything that both of you have said and in the times of radical, radical transformation of the circumstances of our lives, I really see an invitation. It's an invitation to renew again our discipleship and our commitment to following Mm -hmm. Christ above all else. It's like the drama that you experience in marriage when one spouse 
goes through something, goes through something intense, mm. something difficult or something beautiful. And it's an opportunity to renew again your love for that person, to love them through a new circumstance, to love them in a new way. And so I see in our lives, Christ is giving us all the opportunity to say, he's asking us again, do you love me? Yes. Mm-hmm. He's giving us the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I love you again. And that's such a gift. It's so hard, but it's such a gift. Um, and I also think it's like really fundamental, therefore, to live this time correctly. It's a dramatic point in in our journey with the Lord. And so I'm eager to have this conversation with you guys to kind of help correct my path and and to encourage me on the path um, and to make sure that I'm able to say with my whole heart, yes, Lord, I love you. Mm-hmm. I love that comparison to marriage because it makes me think of, well, first of all, because in marriage you start from an initial attraction and a discovery of the beauty of who this person is for you. And then you make the commitment that leads to you, you know, you were telling me, Julie, of um, the fact that both kids are getting up at night. And so you're literally not sleeping. And and yeah, as you just mentioned, your spouse might go through something difficult. And But your fidelity to him in that moment, your sacrifice at 3 a.m., is not what was first proposed to you when you met Frank. Yeah. What was proposed to you was a life of love with him and the sacrifice follows after. Yeah. And so too with Christ, like the encounter is the start. The martyrdom that all of the apostles said yes to, it wasn't what Christ led with when he mm. when he invited them to follow him. He just shared his life with them in a way that they were able to recognize his exceptionality, fall in love with him. And so it was reasonable to follow, reasonable to the follow to the point of sacrifice. But you have to start with the attraction and with the invitation. Otherwise, and I find myself in this position all the time. Otherwise, I'm like, why? Why am I doing this? What does this have to do with my desire? I, If I forget the initial attraction, sacrifice is no longer reasonable and it suffocates me. So it's an occasion, yeah, exactly as you said, to go back and renew that memory of who I've met because of whom this path of following that I'm walking is reasonable. Because, yeah, just as when Frank first asked you out on a date, he wasn't like, do you want to wake up at 3 a.m. with my children? <laughs> Wow, I love that, Sophia. It's so rich. I like want to just sit and meditate on what you're offering, especially like in the journey of discipleship. It makes me just like reflect back on my own path and like look for where Christ has wooed me Mm -hmm. because it's not linear either. I mean, there are periods of real dryness and it feels like Christ has kind of removed himself from us or, you know, St. Therese, and she's like the little red ball that Christ plays with that he ignored for a long time. Yeah. He still has it around and knows where it is, but he's not interested right now. And what, like, attracts you then in those times? Like, how, what kind of posture do you take? What do you find that's helpful in living with Christ? Mm. That's such a important question to me right now because – This is only the second time that I've had a baby, but I found both times in the immediate period after having a baby has felt that way for me. I've been in that spiritual state. Of dryness. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just the physical demands of like, you're not sleeping. Yeah. Your hormones are all over the place. And so it's very difficult to feel like myself 
and it's difficult to pray like I usually do. So that often leads to periods of dryness. And what makes following Christ impossible in this state and what I try to overcome is I can't separate discipleship from hope. Like to follow him is fundamentally mm-hmm. an act of hope. Mm-hmm. And I have to take actions and live in anticipation of a promise before that promise is fulfilled. And to just fix my eyes on him and walk w- without necessarily mm-hmm. seeing the path. And so just like one small example from my recent daily life has been I've been trying to um, take the kids to daily mass when I can and I always think to myself on the way and I'm by myself because my husband's back at work and I always think to myself like okay this could be this might be insane like this feels insane I'm just getting used to leaving the house with two kids like what if they both cry what if whatever just the anxieties of adjusting to being responsible for more children and I just have to remind myself I know God I know I'm going to be with him. Mm-hmm. And therefore I must also hope that he has good he has a good prepared for me. Like this is a good. And and I can walk without worries. Like I can just fix my eyes on him in the Eucharist and just go and just leave the rest to him. And that's what I mean by like living the act of hope. And when we decided on this topic and I was reflecting on what it meant, I found myself like more and more facing a challenge or facing my my daily reality and asking myself, like, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to follow Christ in this circumstance? What does it mean? Um, Just over and over again, like that question playing in my mind as I go about my day. And often I found that the answer is like, it means to fix my eyes on him and, and let that be enough. Mm. I love that because it draws out for me what's essential in my life, which is not consolation or the affective feeling of certainty that I'm with Christ, but being with him. And the the way that I see in my life that this is actually what's essential is the transformative power of turning what can be a monologue into a dialogue. Exactly as you're saying, Julie, of this adventure that you're taking of bringing the two kids to mass is not just you setting out into the unknown by yourself. You're going towards a you of whom you are certain and who is drawing you to himself. And so so too with the difficulties that I experience in periods of dryness of, of what it looks like to follow, to tell him that it's difficult for me, that I don't experience his presence, mm-hmm. that he needs to sustain me. So that all of a sudden, this dryness, this fatigue, this temptation to abandon the path is no longer something that I'm trying to carry myself. But I, in a sense, put it on his shoulders, even though I don't feel him with me. Um, and I, I think all the time about, I think I think it's Pope John the 23rd. I could be wrong about that, but there's a story the, that he every night before going to bed would pray like, it's your church, Lord, and I'm going to bed. (laughs) And I'm not the Pope, but sometimes I feel like as burdened (laughs) by my life as I imagine he felt about the church. And I I think like, it's your life, Lord, like I'm going to bed. Um, My life is yours. I am trying to live a life of faith in you. And I... You know, sometimes I feel like I can't do this. I don't know where to go next. This next step is on a rock that feels shaky, and I don't understand how it's going to mm-hmm. to turn out. Um, but to tell him that and to entrust that to him, 
instead of waiting until I feel like I've got my footing again before I turn to him. I think that's that's where everything changes for me. Mm. That reminds me of um, someone who's been a real model of this in these last few weeks for me, Sophia, which is that there's this man who's been at this daily mass and he goes every day. He sits in the front row and he brings his guitar and he is responsible for the music. And I think he suffers from some sort of mental illness because I've developed a relationship with him and um, he's, you know, shared some of his struggles with me. But what strikes me is his posture at mass and his posture in, in dialogue with me is just one of utter simplicity mm. and just like complete openness and transparency with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, he just brings his gifts and his weaknesses to the altar, literally to the altar, literally. He sits right there in the front row at the foot of the cross and without without pretense. And one time in, in conversation with me, you know, he openly said, oh, I just thought this thing that was sinful. I guess I'm gonna have to go to confession now. And just like his openness with his weakness was just disarming. It was just matter of fact, just like saying, you know, like it's your church, Lord, I'm going to bed. He was just like, oh, like I sinned, Lord, like now you're going to have to forgive me. And Mm. it's the same way that he brings his gifts to mass every day. I mean, he's not like, his music is beautiful, but he's not like the world's greatest (laughs) guitar player. Um, He makes mistakes sometimes, but he just comes and he loves Jesus. And I think that for me, that's been a real image of, of what you're saying, Sophia, that you strive for and that I'm striving for as well. Yeah. In the simplicity of my heart, I've gladly given you everything. Yeah, as Drusani says. Yeah. Yeah, for me, and I often, in my journey so far, experience dryness as just like a stripping away, almost as this like reminder that it's not about me and my experience of Christ. Like Mm. I'm so renewed by... St. Therese saying, like, any act of charity is him doing it through me. Because sometimes I'll have long experiences of dryness, but still I'm able to love my husband and children. Or somebody maybe will say, like, I really appreciated this Mm -hmm. gesture or smile or something. And I will have myself been in such darkness with no idea that another person might have been, like, seen Christ in me. Yeah. It strikes me like, well, that wasn't for me. It was for them. And that's, isn't that what I'm for? Like, isn't it maybe more of a gift to be stripped this way? Like, maybe there's, I don't want to say maturity, but Christ is advancing me in love by like being able to use me more as an instrument than like needing to like caress and affirm me in a way that I like am positively receiving all the time. Mm-hmm. Not that he doesn't do that. It's just I find community very helpful in those times of dryness because I'm not made for myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And also that's I think is one of the primary signs by which we know whether or not we're actually following Christ. Not just a source of support on the journey, but actually a criterion by which we can adjudicate. Is this the path or not? Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's unity with the rest of the church, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that, Sophia. Like, the rule of community, the rule of belonging to the church as a way of adjudicating whether you're on the path of discipleship or not, because it protects against becoming like a self-arbiter, mm-hmm. which is just a constant temptation of mine. I mean, I appreciate that so much in marriage. Like, 
and as a mother of children and children increasing the age of reason that act as examinations of conscience for me. Hmm. Yesterday I was trying to do something and Damien asked me something and I just let out a sigh and he just said, are you frustrated, mama? (laughs) And (laughs) it was such a check, you know, of Christ in front of me. And but that wouldn't have happened without community because I would have been able to accomplish whatever I wanted to accomplish on my own terms and probably thought highly of myself at my own performative efforts or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of a conversation I recently had with my spiritual director in which I was telling him about my continued difficulties with work and how I just couldn't do it anymore. And he was like, well, how are you actually working? Like, how are you approaching the sacrifice of work? Are you rebelling against it? Are you actually offering it to God? And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's easy to hide from yourself, which is ridiculous, because what you do is in plain sight. But it's sometimes only in the gaze of the other that you see yourself in action, which is supremely helpful when trying to evaluate whether or not you're on the path and whether or not you're walking. Yeah, I guess when thinking about what you said, Adrian, about, about the temptation to be the arbiter of your own life, that really resonates with me and I think ties into what I see as another sign of being on the path, which is that if I'm on the path of discipleship, if I'm truly following Christ, my life in some sense at some times shouldn't make sense to me. Mm. This is really hard for me as a black and white thinker because I want to, I want my path to be linear and I want to like tie my story up in a, in a bow. Mm-hmm. But the only thing capable of doing that, of being this like through line that seems logical to us, I think is ideology is the only mm. thing capable of doing that. Because like if you're following Christ, sometimes he asks us to do things that don't make sense and might never make sense until eternity. And yeah, I think the most obvious way of, of looking at this, which we hear about and think about a lot, is that the life of a Christian doesn't make sense to the world, the moral principles by which we live, the values by which we hold above all else. And that's absolutely true. And I think that's important. But where I'm more challenged is when Christ asks me to do something that goes against my own logic. Maybe I had a vision of how my life should look or how my marriage should look or how my job or, or should look. And then he asks me to do something different that challenges my ideology I guess why I've been thinking about this is because in this time since I had the baby, I've been searching for my next job. And Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, I think that what God is calling me to do is not what I would have chosen for myself or what I would have said is the holiest option. Mm. If you were to, you know, in, in a vacuum, present these options to me and say, you know, what's holiest, I would say taking a job that's directly serving the poor or staying at home with my children and not working and, you know, sacrificing my career as a lawyer to him. And maybe one day, and sometimes I hope, he will ask me to do that. But I don't think he's asking me to do that right now. I think he's asking me to do something different. And it doesn't make sense to me. And Mm -hmm. I think saying yes to that is a sign of following him. I think it is. I love that. I love that. And I'm Really grateful that you articulated it in these terms because I think it's going to be very helpful for me as I'm discerning uh, a couple big decisions in my life. And 
exactly what you said about availability to him. Like, if you can completely trace the thread, it's a sign that you're following yourself. <laughs> um, and this makes me think of, I recently heard Bishop Varden, of whom I'm a fangirl, <laughs> talk about his unexpected call to be a bishop after years in a monastery, including being the abbot of his community. And he was talking about how it was, in a sense, a trauma of separation from his community and from monastic life, which he said was a life that just made so much sense to him and that he loved. Mm -hmm. But is saying, like, the point of monastic obedience is not to be like the perfectly obedient monk in the monastery. The point is to be available to God, to be a useful and profitable servant of his. And so even if it doesn't make sense from the point of your monastic vows to leave the monastery and go be a shepherd of 18,000 Catholics from 120 different countries in Norway, this is the entire point, is this lightness of being and of movement that is constitutive of responsivity to the invitation of God. And he drew an analogy to Abraham, who we see, again, like in this climactic encounter after decades of following the will of God, this encounter with these three divine visitors. And in a sense, it doesn't make sense that they stopped or that this is how God comes to him, but he's running everywhere in in an effort to serve them. And yeah, that example that he gave hit me so much because, well, in part because I've named my apartment in Boston the Terebinth <laughs> after after the place that Abraham encountered the three divine visitors. But exactly because I realized as I heard him speak, and I'm renewed in this memory as I'm hearing you share, Julie, about your discernment of work now, that actually what I'm asked what I'm asked to do and what my joy is gonna come from is availability to what he wants, even if to me it makes no sense, even if it knocks me off my feet, even if it's a new desire or a new task or a new relationship that I never saw coming. And this is, yeah, it's vulnerable. But as you said, it's a testament to whether or not we're following the proposal of another for our lives, the design of another for our lives, or what we can imagine, which is always less. It's mm -hmm. always impoverished. Yeah. And what Christ asks of us, or at least in my experience, is like beyond what I could have thought to have hoped for. Mm -hmm. And just like the complexity and the intimacy in which he meets us, like it's so beyond my plans when I'm paying attention to him. I love, again, maybe I've said this before, I mentioned on an Instagram post that I have no memory anymore, <laughs> um, but I love the language of availability, and it makes me think of holy detachment instead of like being unnaturally, I guess, apathetic towards what happens to us, which seems inhuman to me. It's an availability before Christ, mm. and we do that even with like these gifts that we've cultivated or we think he's cultivated in us and we don't see how they're being most clearly used in this new role. And I, I have felt consistently called to be a stay-at-home mom for now, but the transition still like strips away at me in terms of being more of a hidden life at times mm -hmm. and also being uncertain in how Christ is using these skills developed in me or if he's using them and it's not what I would have thought. 
and just practicing a humility before that. But then seeing later, too, the fruits of that humility and like cherishing that he asked this of me when I never would have asked this of me because of like the gifts that have come from it. Mm. Yeah. Which makes me ask, though, like what what are the steps that each of you have taken and are taking to know that this is how you are meant to be following Christ or he desires you to follow him, that this is where he's got, like, if your task is like the virgins in Revelation to follow the lamb wherever he goes, like, how do you know that this is where the lamb is going for you to follow him? Yeah, I think for me, obviously, prayer and liturgical prayer is extremely important, but as equally important is communal discernment, like the community of my family. Mm. Talking to my husband, like in our sacrament of marriage, like I recognize he's the conduit of Christ for me and I for him. But like his discernment is so valuable in recognizing where I'm called on the journey too. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for my marriage. I'm so grateful for my husband and his own devotion to prayer and his discipleship that even amidst the uncertainty that like if we're asking for bread he's not going to give us a stone yeah he's not actively trying to hide his will from you right i completely have had the same experience in my own marriage and not just with my husband but just with other trusted voices in my life including both of you it's really helpful going back to our discussion of dryness when i'm experiencing dryness in particular and it feels difficult to hear the voice of christ i listen even more closely to the voices He's speaking through to me, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. husband and my friends and my family. And I think I think another thing, another practice that's helpful to go back to your question, Sophia, is asking where I experience the hundredfold. Yes. Especially, mm. especially where it's unexpected. That's a real source of discernment for me because my tendency, and maybe that of other people who are tempted to moralism, is that... I tend to fall into thinking that I should just do whatever makes me most miserable. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like idolize a sacrifice that's not for a person, but just for the sake of sacrifice, kind of the senseless martyr. And to believe that that must be what I'm called to. But the reality is when I live that way, I don't experience the hundredfold. I'm miserable, right? Like that's the opposite of what's promised to us. Yeah, and you're probably not that attractive to other people either. Oh, definitely Mm -hmm. not. (laughs) Definitely not. Or to myself, honestly. Um, It's a horrible way to live. And, you know, obviously, there's a lot of qualifications, I feel like, that go into this. Because, of course, Christ calls us to a life of self-sacrifice and sometimes extreme self-sacrifice in in every vocational state. But I think for me, the point is that my relationship with him as his disciple, as the daughter of God, should guide my sacrifice, should be the reason for my sacrifice. It should needs to be a response. It doesn't need to be mm-hmm. my own initiative for this performative sake of making a sacrifice. Um, I guess I've gone off the point of the hundredfold now, but following where I experience a joy that feels supernatural and a beauty that feels supernatural, not just like a superficial happiness, it really kind of illuminates the path for me. Mm-hmm. It's It's a corrective. It leads me away from what I might otherwise mistakenly label as Christ's will and it's in fact not um, and, and is the opposite of what he's asking me to do. I love that. That seems wise to me. And um, 
reflects, I was reading the Beatitudes yesterday and in Matthew and was struck by the fact that the first Beatitude is in the present tense, but the rest are in the future. Like, the poor in spirit are blessed. Theirs is the kingdom. But then for the rest of them, it's like, they will be comforted. They will be satisfied. Mm. They will... So the fullness of what we want is in the future. We are awaiting it on the day of eternity. And life on this earth is one of sacrifice and mourning and trial. And yet the first beatitude is in the present tense because the kingdom of God is ours. What is the kingdom of God? Christ. Christ is ours. And because of this, all of reality is ours. And so exactly as you said, Julie, we experience a hundred times more everything in reality because Christ is ours. Or perhaps to put it better, because we're his and he's God's, as St. Paul says. Yeah, so I think looking for those signs of an impossible joy, an impossible unity, an impossible beauty, surprising encounters, those are all, yeah, I think for me too, real signs of what the path is when it comes to following Christ. Yeah, it strikes me again, like the simplicity of the hundredfold and sort of like this integration of the faith that's so natural to children being born again as an adult in us, Mm. of being able to embrace with a childlike receptivity what's given to us. And that means being able to like embrace the joy too. Yeah, in your circumstances as... Like like Mary did. She didn't rebel against what was given to her, right? Yeah, I was thinking um, of Mary, exactly. She must be interceding yeah. for us. I need it <laughs> because I don't have this gaze on on the inevitable circumstances of my life. Like, in, if it's inevitable, I know it's either the active or permissive will of God. And yet, somehow, that does not make it easier for me to accept these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just thinking, like... Jesus abandons Mary in in motherhood, too. Like, he leaves and goes to the temple, and she and Joseph spend, like, three days sorrowing looking for him. Mm. She remains steadfast in her search of finding him. And then when she does find him, his response is like, I was always here. Didn't you know I was about my father's business and in the temple? And, like, we're the temple. Yeah, which makes me think that what Christ was about with Mary, was in a sense inviting Mary to become more like him, to have, just as he had, her security only in going about the father's business. Because Father Mike said this in a homily the other day, just because she was conceived without original sin didn't mean that she couldn't have fallen during her life, right? And didn't mean that she didn't need to grow through using her freedom, Yeah. And so Christ's invitation to her constantly throughout their 30 years together in the intimacy of Nazareth was to become more like him in his relationship to the father and his relationship to reality. Uh, Not that she didn't educate him as well. But this is what he does with us, too, in asking us to follow him, I think, is inviting us too to find our food in doing the will of God, having no place to rest our head, but dwelling in his house, um, finding our security in doing his work. And thinking about Mary growing in that over the course of her life is just really inspiring to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I also just think how he was like preparing her for the role. The church fathers say, like, you can't think about the church without thinking about Mary. Mm. 
they're inseparable. And he's like preparing her to be, well, first she's already mother of God. He's prepared her for that. And then to preparing her to be mother of the church in often very humble and ordinary ways. Yeah, because as you said, our following is not about us. <laughs> and, we, and we see this so clearly yeah. in Mary. Yeah. Like her yes was for the sake of the whole world. And that's true of us too in Julian, you getting up at 3 a.m. with Elena and in you, Adriana, staying at home. It's like these yeses that we give, no matter how small or how big, are for the sake of the whole world. Yeah, and that strikes me and just gives me hope too because Mary like her yes was constantly changing of what he asked of her and it was so unknown like she gives birth and he's like now you're off to Egypt and you don't speak the language you probably didn't even have a chance to say bye to your family but like yeah go now and then come back to Nazareth and then Christ is in his public ministry and you're like in the foreground in a way and then you're at the foot of the cross but it's in like silence and and then your maternity is like being so clearly transformed in your being given John and like the rest of the church in that and then for the remainder of the gospels like she's present always there but sort of like on the sidelines mm-hmm. and so receptive to that I mean, she's his most faithful disciple. Anyway, I guess it, how do you like respond to Christ's invitations to change habits, change even like structures or ways of living that have been familiar avenues of encountering him, but for whatever reason aren't available to you anymore? Mm. And maybe it's just a season or, or maybe it's longer. Like, for me, I guess I'm thinking about daily mass. Right now, we're not really able to go to daily mass because both of Paul's naps are falling during daily mass. Um, But that's always been a familiar place of encounter for me and one I long for. And yet I see that Christ is asking me to be obedient to my circumstances Mm -hmm. and not, like, wake Paul up from his nap so that I can go to daily mass Yeah, this change and the seasonality that you're talking about is always really difficult for me. And I think what helps me are a couple of things. The first is kind of implicit what you were saying, but looking at the lives of the apostles, the saints, those who have gone before me, looking at creation as God made it, it goes through seasons and even the cycle of life and death. Um, that all of nature experiences. The the church teaches me in this mm. by educating me through a liturgical season that changes and it changes what the church asks us to focus on, prayer or waiting or fasting or feasting. And all of this is kind of educating me to the order of things until eternity. And it helps me feel not alone. And the other, I think for me, is a challenge to it goes back to what I'm saying about the only coherent through line should be him. Like if it's hard for me to change a particular practice, that that for me is a sign that I need to be purified. I'm, I just need to constantly be purified. Mm. It shows me that in some way my attachment has kind of shifted from him a little bit and often to very good things, often to very good things. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of hard. And that's why I need the change to purify me because otherwise like what I'm attached to is is a good. It's, it can be hard to see. Yeah, it, it can yeah. be hard to, to separate out yeah. without kind of this external circumstance forcing me to do that. Mm, that's really helpful. 
Yeah. I think as I have not welcomed children <laughs> nor gotten married, I've had less dramatic fluctuations in my uh, exter- the external form of my relationship with Christ. And so I'm grateful to learn from your wisdom and exactly as you said, detachment that has been asked of you. I think in response to your question, what comes to mind is just like wonder that sometimes strikes me uh, when I'm grappling with when and how I'm going to be able to pray or share my faith or um, experience the presence of Christ. Sometimes I stop and I'm given the grace by the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, of recognizing in this moment, like, the magnitude of my desire and that the object is Christ. And to not take that for granted, that as my life is changing and as whatever, I was going through a transatlantic move and my schedule was crazy and I couldn't even think that in that moment, my desire was to be with Christ. That as Saint, you mentioned St. Therese earlier, I was thinking about her line that she, where she says like, to follow Christ, I would have plunged through fire. And that in a sense, I can relate to that assertion of hers because the overriding hunger in all of these changing circumstances and changing responsibilities is to be with him that I've been wrecked and like ruined by an encounter with Christ. And so, yes, it's painful if I can't experience his presence in a way I once did or be accompanied by the same friend as I once was or you name it. But what that reveals to me more deeply is how possessed my heart is by this history and therefore what a reason for hope there is in the future because he he who began this work is going to bring it to completion i clearly did not give myself this desire nor did you adriana as as Mm -hmm. not going to daily mass is a sacrifice for you like that's crazy if you think about how you lived when you were 19 right yeah (laughs) and to start from that to start from that is so much more reasonable and an occasion for hope, I think. Yeah, thank you, both of you. You've given me so much to think about. Um, with that, I think we could move on to our challenge and media recommendation. Yeah. Do you have a media recommendation for us, Sophia? I do. It's a set of books. It's basically anything that Takashi Nagai has written. I'm reading a book of his that is not available in English, which is why I am not giving that as the title. But he is a servant of God who was a Japanese convert who lived in Nagasaki at the time of the atomic bombing and lost his wife and children in the atomic blast and lived in extraordinary faith after the devastation of his hometown. I mean, the epicenter of the bomb was in the Catholic neighborhood of Nagasaki, and Takashi Nagai interpreted this as the father choosing their Catholic community as a Holocaust offered in atonement in union with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for an end to the war, an atonement for the sins committed during the war. Wow. And his faith is luminous as he's dying of leukemia on a bed in a tiny hut. So he wrote one book called The Bells of Nagasaki that I've read and recommend, but he also has a book that I have not read yet, but I'm going to recommend because its content is similar to the one I'm reading in Italian 
called Thoughts from Nyokodo, and I'll put links to those in the show notes. But just to get to know his story or read something that he's written, um, he's extraordinary and I think a saint for this millennium. Wow, thank you, Sophia. I'll definitely check those out. Do you have a monthly challenge for us? Yeah, I would just invite our listeners to do Lexio with Matthew 14, when Jesus walks on the water, and the invitation for Peter to come out on the water, too. For me, it's such an illustration of the present state of my life, of like being on the water, kind of in that tumultuous or transitional state but keeping your eyes affixed to him. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you and Julie both for what you've shared today. I, yeah, was really helped by it, and I'm eager to see the fruit that it bears in these weeks to come. To all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please know of our prayers for you, and if you would like to write to us, you can find our information on pilgrimsoulpodcast.com, where you'll also find the archive of all of our media recommendations and monthly challenges. As ever, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend so that our companionship can continue to grow. 